Graphic Audio presents Graphic Audio Streams. Graphic Audio Streams is a full-cast audiobook entertainment subscription service, which offers several plans such as fantasy, science fiction, William W. Johnstone, and westerns. Each subscription plan features two titles per month, pre-selected by Graphic Audio, which you can listen to instantly using our free Graphic Audio Access app. Six hours average per title. At the beginning of every month, the previous featured titles will be automatically removed and replaced by the new featured titles. The featured titles in these subscription plans can only be listened to using our free Graphic Audio Access app for Android and Apple iOS smartphones and tablets. The featured titles for January 2020 are The First Mountain Man 14, Preacher's Showdown, and The Loner 7, The Bounty Killers. Graphic Audio Streams, only available at www.graphicaudio.net. Welcome. You're listening to Gasp, the Graphic Audio Story Podcast, Mystery Season. I'm Dwayne Beeman, and we are back to bring you the kind of entertainment that you can only get from Graphic Audio. This season, we decided to go the mystery route, and I couldn't think of a better production that fits that description than Nuclear Bombshell. The Nuclear Bombshell series was created by writers John Zacor and Lawrence Gammon. The premise of the series centers around P.I. Zachary Nixon Johnson. Johnson has the distinction of being the last licensed private investigator on Earth. The year is 2057, and a lot has changed as the world is completely brand new. Johnson is aided by his assistant, Harv, but Harv is no ordinary assistant. He is a holographic assistant, who is also the most intelligent computer in the world. Harv is planted firmly into Johnson's brain. The two make quite a team, as you'll find out as we present the first story of the series, The Plutonium Blonde. So get ready for a wild ride as we present the newest season of GASP, the Graphic Audio Story Podcast. Graphic Audio presents The Nuclear Bombshell Series by John Zakur and Lawrence Gannam. Narrated by Richard Rowan. With performances by David Coyne, Karen Novak, Colleen Delaney, Thomas Keegan, Gary Tells, Ken Jackson, Nanette Savard, Terence Aselford, Patrick Bussink, Lily Beacon, Alyssa Wilmoth, Elizabeth Jernigan, Mort Shelby, Tim Carlin, Alexander Strain, Daniel Sontag, and Eric Messner. The Plutonium Blonde. My name is Zachary Nixon Johnson. And I am the last private detective on Earth. 
I'll get to the whys and wherefores of that a little later. And as you'll see, it's not exactly 100% true, but it sounds good. And hopefully I've at least got your attention now. The year is 2057, and after a handful of species-altering upheavals, earth-shattering cataclysms, history-changing extraterrestrial contacts, and pop culture disasters, the world is now a pretty safe place. I won't bore you with the judicial, economic, and anthropological minutia of the New World Order, but suffice it to say that the sun still rises in the east, the human race is still around to notice it, and we still pull down the window shades, roll over in bed, and sleep until noon whenever possible. Of course, the world's not perfect. People still run the shades of gray gamut of good to evil. There are still cops and robbers, saints and sinners, voters and politicians. And every once in a while, some crazy thing happens that threatens society, all of humanity, or the entire space-time continuum. And for some reason, it always happens on my watch. I guess that's as good a place as any to start this story. It began like any other day which is the way these things usually do. I was at my office on the New Frisco docks watching the tourists outside and trying hard not to think about how long it had been since good news had walked through my office door. I was also losing a game of holographic backgammon to the hollow image projection of my trusty, though occasionally annoying, computer compatriot Harv. So I catch this Simfolk security guy red-handed, stealing parts from the droid manufacturing plant. And I mean literally red-handed. He was smuggling a handout in his lunchbox. You know what I mean? Oh yes, I understand the irony of the situation. For some reason, whenever he projects himself, Harv likes to take the form of an elderly balding gentleman. I guess he thinks that it gives him an air of distinction. Okay, so I say to the guy, All right, buddy, hand over the hand. Which I thought was pretty funny. But he runs into the spare parts room, grabs a droid femur, and takes a swing at me. How about I give you a leg up instead, he says. And from there, the body parts and the puns just started flying left and right. No thanks, I'm already armed. Nice suit. Is it double-breasted? Now that's what I call a bowel movement. Finally, I grab a couple of droid heads, one in each hand, and slam them upside his head like a pair of cymbals. He falls unconscious to the floor, and... <laughs> I can't believe I do this. But I stand up and say out loud, I guess two heads really are better than one. I'll bet he was really disturbed at that turn of events. <sighs> it's a joke, Harv. Actually, I think the term humorous anecdote is more accurate. Either way, it's supposed to be funny. You get it? Well, I understand the anatomical references and your use of common phraseology in an ironic manner. But wouldn't it have been more accurate for your last line to have been, I guess two android heads when used as blunt trauma-inducing weapons can cause severe concussive damage? Ah, forget it. I should have known better than to waste the story on a computer. Yes, well, forgive me, boss, if I don't quite grasp the subtle concept of witty P.I. banter. I guess I'll just have to be content with the ability to perform three billion separate calculations in a nanosecond. Frankly, I'm surprised that you managed to survive all those years without me. Now, if you will kindly just roll the dice and take your turn, I am anxious to claim yet another victory. How about this? A guy walks into a bar with two chunks of plutonium sewn under the shoulders of his shirt. Yes, I know. Please, spare us both the anguish and roll the dice. I shook the two hollow dice that weren't really there, even though a good portion of my brain thought they were, for an annoyingly long time, just to get on Harv's circuits a bit, and then made my roll. The dice bounced around the holographic backgammon board, which also wasn't really there, much as you would expect real dice to bounce around on a real backgammon board, although not quite. Oh my, double sixes. There are times, most times actually, when double sixes is a good roll. 
This, however, was one of those rare instances when it wasn't. Harv had my captured piece solidly blocked in, with two of his four remaining pieces sitting squarely on the number six slot. I was trapped. I find it hard to believe that you're not loading these dice. I've rolled three doubles this game, and every one of them's been worthless. Oh, please. I am the most sophisticated computer on Earth. Why would I want, or for that matter, why would I need to cheat to win a simple game of backgammon? Besides, your third roll of the game was a double two, which you found quite useful. Perhaps you wish me to replay it for you on the wall screen in super slow motion. I'll take your word for it. As well you should, as I have no reason to lie. You have simply run into a series of unfortunate but very possible circumstances in this game of chance. Dice in motion are random objects, as you know, and subject to all laws of probability. Results of such probabilities cannot be accurately predicted nor controlled. It is the chaos theory in action. What I want to know is, how come the chaos theory always seems to be in action when it's my turn to roll the dice? Harv's holographic image picked up the holodice. If you don't mind my saying so, boss, you are fixating on the negative. You should be thankful that your bad luck at this gaming table does not necessarily translate into bad luck in the more important areas of life. You are, for instance, very fortunate when it comes to armed combat. You have been fired upon 127 times in your career and have been wounded only thrice, each of those minimally so. You are also quite fortunate in the area of romantic interpersonal relationships. Or have you forgotten the lovely Dr. Electra Gevada? Quite honestly, your luck in this area is truly an example of the chaos theory run amok. Even I, the most sophisticated computer on Earth, have trouble computing what exactly such a beautiful and intelligent surgeon sees in you. There are some things, Harv, that are beyond even your abilities. True, but they are few and far between. Ah, oh, double sixes. As I mentioned earlier, there are a few rare instances in backgammon where double sixes can be a bad roll. This, of course, was not one of those times. Oh my, it appears as though I've won a game. If I were counting, this would mark my fifth victory in a row and my tenth victory over the last eleven games. It would also be my ninety-fourth victory in the last ninety-nine games, and my five-hundredth victory but in then, the you're not one to count, are you, Harv? Of course I am. I'm a computer. It's what I do. That's it. We're using real dice and a real board next game. Fine. Bring them out. I don't have any. What was that? I said I don't have any real dice. I don't think they make them anymore. Hmm, just as well. You probably wouldn't know how to work them anyway. Excuse me, but whatever happened to helping me count my blessings? Ah, yes, your blessings. Well, aside from surviving numerous altercations involving heavy ordnance and being romantically involved with someone several steps above you on the social register, you also have what one would describe in the current vernacular as a way-groovy job. I'll tell you now, there's something very strange about hearing the world's most intelligent computer use the term way-groovy, but I'd grown accustomed to Harv's eccentricities. I am considered by many people, most people who know me actually, to be a bit of a throwback to a bygone era. Why else would I choose to be a private eye in the 21st century? Personally, I like to think of myself more as a renaissance man, living comfortably in the present, but fascinated with the past. Truth to tell, I was born in the wrong century. I'm endlessly, some would say compulsively, fascinated by anything and everything twin sen. It was a simpler time when everybody wasn't wired to everything else. It was a more stylish time. A better time? Hey, I'm not naive. But the cars were a lot cooler back then, and in my book, that counts for a lot. I've been a licensed private eye for 13 years. I got into the business in what they call a downtime. It was the height of the age of information, and the general public, who at that time had the world at their fingertips and eyeballs via the cellular net, had no real use for investigators. 
After all, you don't need someone to dig up dirt for you when you're standing in the middle of a dust bowl. True, it takes a special skill to know the right place to dig, but it's hard making that argument when the caffeine corner down the street is giving away copies of the complete and unabridged History of History Volumes 1 and 2 on a nanochip, free with every purchase of a quadruple latte. So, over the next few years, the rank and file of the gumshoe population dwindled substantially. The old-timers, some of them grand old men from the heyday, living, breathing specimens of Marlowe-esque history, gave up the game. A lot of them passed away over the years. Many just retired and moved to New Florida. Ten years ago, the World Council stopped issuing licenses, and private eyes became an endangered species. Before I knew it, I was the last licensed guy on the PI register, and the associate partner position at my buddy Randy's software R&D lab was becoming a very real temptation. To make matters worse, the PI void was about to be filled by the seamy underside of society. Now, not organized crime, the entertainment industry. Antercorp, the world's largest entertainment conglomerate, realized that there was a profit to be made from human misery and suffering by recording and netcasting it to the masses. Antercorp created a privatized subsidiary corporation they ironically called Dickco, and the company now does a lot of the work formerly done by freelance PIs. They actively recruit PI wannabes, thugs mostly, and employ them to do investigative work, totally unlicensed of course. Who cares about a license, after all, when you have the shadow support of the third largest corporation in the world behind you? Basically, Dickco assigns its operatives regular cases, covers all their expenses, and pays them a regular, comfortable level salary. Operatives go where they're told to go, investigate what they're told to investigate, and bust whatever heads they are unofficially told to bust. It's a sweet life, if you're a thug with highbrow pretensions. Unfortunately, the world still has its fair share of those. It just goes to show that there's a big difference between a P.I. and a dick. Why does Centercorp do it? Well, part of the package that comes with your signing on the virtual dotted line is that Dicko has the right to record your actions at all times, 24-7, and netcast your work-related experiences on any of their many reality-based net shows. All operatives are fitted with netcast cameras that are surgically attached to their retinas. I like to call them dick cams. Tracking devices are implanted in their necks, so in a pinch, satellite cameras can locate them to get dramatic overhead shots of their adventures. And the most popular of the rank and file get what they call netcast and ones. That's a sidekick whose sole job is to dutifully get the proper coverage of the operative and sometimes provide comic relief or a sounding board in order to easily provide exposition. Entercorp made me an offer when they were just starting up. Needless to say, I thought the term stunk worse than an angry unwashed skunk eating old fish and extra stinky cheese, and I turned them down flat. Still, I didn't want to quit the PI business. After all, what other job lets you set your own hours, carry a cool gun, and get paid to snoop around? Then, five years ago, I had, for lack of a better term, my breakthrough case. I won't bore you with the details, but it involved YAM, which was short for Yesterday Once More. They were a teleport delivery service that promised to deliver packages back through time. Their motto was, when it really should have been there yesterday. The city council, at the very strong urging of Fedport, Yom's competition in the delivery service market, was worried that traveling so casually back and forth through time threatened the world as we know it, and hired me, of all people, to set things right. There was a budget crisis, and the city hadn't allocated much money for protecting the fabric of time, so I was all they could afford. 
Within a week, I had shut Yom down, and reality as we knew it was safe once more. Actually, it turned out that Yom wasn't really delivering packages through time at all. They were just hypnotizing their customers through subliminal advertisements to convince them that they'd received the packages the day before. So, all they'd really saved the world from was false advertising. Still, the press latched onto the story for a time, and I began what I thought would be my 15 nanoseconds of fame. Then it was discovered that I was actually the last legally licensed private investigator on Earth, and that sort of gave new life to my marketability. A week later, I was hired as the private bodyguard for that teenage Holovision starlet. I can't remember her name. You know, the one with the hair. After that, I did talk shows in the net circuit. A year later, I saved the city when a deranged pilot tried to crash a Twensend satellite into Fisherman's Wharf, and since then, I've been a bit of a minor celeb in this part of the world. I haven't exactly stayed 100% true to the Sam Spade mold, but every organism learns one way or the other that when the times are changing, you either adapt or die. This gasp episode will continue in just a moment. For mature audiences only. X-Trailer Trash, X-Res, Dishonorably Discharged X-Force Recon Marine and MP, X-Con, X-Biker, X-FBI Informant, X-Wrestler. It's a lot of X's to have by your name. It can give you a bad attitude, and it's not a good resume for most walks of American life. But it's not a bad career track at all for a fixer in Los Angeles. And if the name of the new job is surviving the end of the world, put it this way, staying alive in the post-apocalypse can be a real bitch. Sometimes it takes a real bastard. My name is Benjamin Allen Frame. That's Frame to you. Last night, the Earth died screaming. Today is day one. From Chuck Rogers, author of Heroes Road. I'm a United States Marine. There aren't any Marines anymore. As long as I'm alive, there's one. Graphic Audio proudly presents... You do not understand. These are bad people. No, I'm a bad person. The SOG, they're not ready for me. Bastard of the Apocalypse. Yeah! By the way, boss, we received our first of what could be several angry overdue rent notices this morning from your landlord. What do you mean, overdue? Didn't you pay the rent? I've been dragging my feet, so to speak, on the finances in general. Any particular reason why? Well, at the moment, your finances are stretched a bit thin. A few client payments are overdue, and your residual check from the last net special was, shall we say, underwhelming. 
Yeah, maybe Randy was right and we should have called it Zach Johnson versus the Bikini Babes from the Planet Bimbo 38D. Be that as it may, you're not at the Nano, as they say, flush with investable capital. So, we need to raise some creds in a hurry. As always, boss, your keen grasp of the obvious overwhelms me. And may I take this opportunity to remind you of the very generous offer extended to you last week by the good people at Omega Mart to celebrate their new store opening. Forget it. It's good money for a simple personal appearance. Forget it, Harv. I'm not doing it. Gates, I'd rather do anything than another one of those pebcack ribbon-cutting ceremonies. And just then, three cheap-looking thugs in expensive-looking suits crashed through my office door, turning the simulated wood into so much simulated kindling. My first reaction was, why don't thugs ever try the knob? Which, however incisive, wasn't very much help at the time. My second reaction was, this is not a good thing. Which was more pertinent to the matter at hand, but overly obvious. And again, not all that useful. This is why I never trust my first two reactions to any crisis situation. Carol, my secretary and probable future niece-in-law, followed the thugs into the room, shrugging her little shoulders apologetically. Carol is an extremely smart girl, brilliant actually. She has the mind of a world-class physicist. She's the niece of my fiancé, Dr. Electra Gavada, and when she's not attending classes at the university, she works part-time as my receptionist. One other thing, she's also a psi, which is short for psionic, class 1, level 5, which makes her exceptionally powerful. However, because she's young, her talents are still a bit raw. She's very gifted at reading minds and only slightly less skillful at mind control. She has trouble at times with her telekinesis and she tends to lose that ability under pressure, but hey, she's just a kid and you can't really expect her to be perfect. Besides, she's cute as a button. She's been recruited by nearly every government corporation and gaming casino in the new world. Size are rare and in high demand in the business world. She was even kidnapped once by a fifth world country in the hopes that she'd become their secret weapon and the key to their world dominance. That actually got a little ugly, and as a result, I'm no longer able to purchase my favorite brand of macaroons. But, uh, that's another story. Sorry, Tio. My mind blasts didn't stop them. The menacing thugs with blasters drawn formed an ominous semicircle around my desk. Smart guy that I am, I realized then that this day wasn't going to be so ordinary after all. When facing an imminent confrontation with multiple thugs, the PI Handbook, now long out of print in both paper and electronic versions, strongly suggests that you remember the acronym WEAPON, spelled W-E-P-N. W. Wits. Keep them about you. E. Evaluate your foe's strengths. P. Postulate their weaknesses and assign each foe a slightly demeaning N. Nickname. It will subconsciously help your fighting skills if you convince yourself that your opponent is someone known as, for example, Bedwetter. These particular thugs in front of me were clearly hired muscle. Big men, one of them truly immense, in big suits with big ugly scowls on their faces. Working from left to right, our contestants were... Stupid Ape. I had to qualify this with the word stupid so as not to offend the ape community. Large of limb, impotent of intellect, he was the kind of guy who lettered in leg-breaking at thug school, but flunked the written exam because he didn't know which end of the pencil to use. Fuzzface. I pegged this guy as the boss. My first clue was that he stood in the middle. Let's face it, when you're dealing with thugs, the boss always stands in the middle. They're a lot like geese in that respect. He also looked a little less animal-like than the other two. 
Shades hit his eyes, and a dirty little mustache and goatee stippled his chin. Both these goons were packing high-power hand blasters, which of course were aimed directly at me. Man Mountain Stupid ape and fuzzface were trouble, but this guy brought the situation up a few levels on the danger meter, right up to, uh-oh, did I pay this month's premium on my life insurance? First off, he was immense. I've said that before, I know, but I want to make sure I do him justice here. He was two and a half meters tall and very nearly as wide. To this guy, the Bahamian diet was something you try because you've already eaten Jamaica and St. Croix. Clearly, the guy was GE, genetically engineered. Thugs that size just don't come from Mother Nature. And this set off all kinds of alarms in my head. It takes a pile of credits to get a GE. They've been outlawed since 2035, so I knew right away that I was up against a goon squad who had some hefty financing behind them. Fuzzface spoke first, further strengthening my belief that, of the outfit, he was the brains, such as they were. Zachary Johnson, you're coming with us. Don't they teach manners in thug school anymore? Manners don't mean much when you got a blaster pointed at your face. Now, like I said, you're coming with us. Alive or in pieces, it don't matter to me. My, my. When it comes to kidnapping, you fine gentlemen certainly are in the dark. What are you... Hey! Harv had taken my cue and killed the office lights and shaded the window screens to black, plunging the room into total darkness and utter confusion. Huh? What happened? Just then, the lights blinked back on, and my three thug friends suddenly found themselves faced with 15 identical versions of yours truly. How do you do that? They're holograms, you idiots! But one of them is the real thing. Fuzzface turned and aimed his blaster at the wall screen covering Harv's power unit. We just need to take out the computer and... The real me chose that moment to leap at Fuzzface from the crowd of holograms and nail him with a hard snap kick to the groin. Not very sporting, I know, but what do you want? He was going to shoot my computer. Didn't your mother ever teach you not to pick on defenseless and very expensive computers? Unfortunately, my move surprised Harv as much as it did the thugs because when I moved on Fuzzface, the hologram images of me all remained motionless. And that pretty much blew my cover. Stupid Ape was quick to take advantage of the opening. I managed to remain on my feet, thanks mostly to the wall I hit, and came right back at him. A look of confusion crossed his face as I rushed him. I mean, above and beyond his normal level. What can I say, buddy? You must be losing your touch. Actually, that punch would have cracked my ribs like eggshells had it not been for the armor I wear. It's a light but extremely strong carbon alloy, specially designed for me by my good buddy, Dr. Randy Poole. It protects me from heavy blows and even light blaster fire. It gets a little itchy in warm weather, but a man who makes a living poking his nose into places where it doesn't belong can never be too careful. Next thing you know, you'll develop a glass jaw! A wonderful look of total shock and confusion swept over the thug's face as he flew backwards over my desk. If there's one thing I've learned in my many years as a PI, it's that sometimes you need to cheat a little bit to survive. Let's face it, St. Peter's Parlor is standing room only with guys who tried to fight fairly. My armor helps me cheat. On top of protecting me, it's also software to my muscles, which means that in times of need, I can draw juice from its circuits, channel it directly into my arms or legs, and basically give myself a quantum-sized helping hand. Yeah, it's cheating. I'm not as tough as these thugs think I am. But remember, I'm not the one who came into the room waving his blaster around. Unfortunately, in this case, I'd used my trump card a little too soon. Two thugs were down, but my luck was about to run out because Man Mountain chose that nano to join the fray. 
I knew this because a fist the size of my desk chair swatted me from the side. I felt this blow, even through the armor. And this time when I hit the wall, I felt it crack. At least I hoped it was the wall. Man Mountain gathered me up and used his massive girth to drive me into the wall that housed Har's computer screen. I quickly juiced up my fist with energy from the body armor and countered with a jab to his gut. Uh-oh. He wrapped his fingers around my throat. You're not so tough enough, eh? I made in 2029 before test spend. Made real strong. And exceptionally bright, too. I flicked my left wrist in just the right way, and my trusty Colt 45 version 2A popped neatly into my hand from its forearm holster. Guns are nasty, messy items, but there are times when nasty is called for. Messy is just something you have to live with. But Man Mountain had somehow anticipated this move and reacted with surprising speed. His free hand grabbed my arm and pinned it, gun and all, firmly against the wall. Then he gave me one of those, ha ha, you're even dumber than I am smiles, which was especially nasty because in this case, it rang so true. I talk not good, but I'm smarter than words. When I strangle you, your armor I know you wear no help. He began tightening his grip on my throat with his giant atomic vise of a hand, and I began to regret not ordering the armor in the turtleneck style. Okay, I guess I'll come along quietly now. Where are we headed? What you say? I not hear you. Oh well. I felt my eyes roll back in my head, and the world turned gray around the edges. Johnson is in a bad way here, as he's getting choked out. Will he be able to escape the clutches of this thug? Tune in next week and find out. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to GASP, the graphic audio story podcast. Recommend us to friends and family, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Tuned In, and RSS feeds, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be back next week for episode two of Nuclear Bombshell, The Plutonium Blonde, and the Graphic Audio Story Podcast. Thanks for listening to this graphic audio production. Want more audio entertainment in your life? Visit graphicaudio.net where you'll find over 1,000 action-packed titles and 100 series in high-quality download formats, as well as some CDs and MP3 CDs to purchase a la carte and listen to whenever you like. Be sure to download our free Graphic Audio Access app, which allows you to either stream or download any of our titles straight to your iPhone or Android device. And Graphic Audio Streams. This subscription service allows you to choose from four different genres and delivers two graphic audio titles a month. It's an economical way to sample our various series, starting at just $4.99 a month and available through our Graphic Audio Access app. 
At the start of each month, the previous titles will automatically be removed and replaced with the new featured titles. Remember, all this and more awaits you at www.graphicaudio.net.